Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to episode three of I Am Steve R. Again, let me thank you guys so much for your support of the show. I was a little reluctant to do this when it all began, and uh, I really don't know why. But uh, your support has been tremendous. And I have had many of you that have reached out and say, Hey, Steve, when is the next one? Can you talk about this? And to be honest with you, I'm, uh, I'm getting calls and messages pretty much every day from people in need. And um, it just kind of reminds me that there are some things that, that, uh, that need to be discussed. Probably the most common thing that I've gotten this week is about, you know, kind of what's the secret to staying sober? What's the secret to... Uh, to keeping clean, what's the secret to avoiding relapse, and they're really all the same, and, and the, the answer is simple, is there is no secret. There are no shortcuts. In the beginning, I tried to find the easier, softer way, because I've always been smart, and I uh, had somebody tell me in early in recovery that, uh, you know, Steve, you might be too smart to stay sober. That sounds a bit like an oxymoron, but... Uh, the truth of the matter is uh, we folks that are, uh, you know, above reasonable intelligence, sometimes we're, we're classic overthinkers. We think, okay, well, this is what they tell me. Let me find a shortcut. There really is no shortcut to sobriety. And I will tell you as honestly as I can, you know, AA and recovery and NA and all that, that is about the only thing in life that I have not been able to kind of BS my way through. There have been a lot of times in life that, uh, you know, you put me in a, you know, a circle of people, I'll, I'll find a way to find an easier way. But with this, I had to actually do the work. And those that have been able to put together a prolonged period of sobriety have done the work. Nobody gets lucky in sobriety. Nobody recovers alone. Everybody must have a support system. Uh, and so I want to go back to a conversation I had with somebody, a, a complete stranger, right after the first episode, and then also get to a conversation that I had uh, just this evening about episode two. They're very, very similar in in nature. I spent a lot of time on the phone with you guys uh, here in recent days, 
uh, just people picking up the phone and saying, you know, hey, listen, I don't know you, but uh, I'm struggling with this. But there is a common theme with so much of this. And I want to address this uh, tonight as best I can. But there are many people that relapse and then wonder why they relapsed. And they get somewhat hopeless because they have spent some extended time in a treatment facility as if that is somewhat of a cure-all. Let me address that for you now. It's not. Going to treatment will give you the tools necessary to change your life. But it won't change your life. That is up to you. That is completely up to you. They cannot fix you. They can dry you out. They can point you in the right direction. They can put you on the solid path to recovery. But the next steps are up to you. I know the day that I found out that I was leaving Pine Grove Recovery, it was one of the uh, scariest days of my life. Because now, then I had to get out and kind of uh, put some of this new knowledge to practical application. And that's what I really struggled with. I was like, you know, now that you know, it's, it's easy in treatment, you know, you've got people around that are doing the right things. There's no temptation. Uh, there's all the sandwiches you could possibly eat. There's always uh, a group session to go to to kind of talk about the things that are, that are causing you grief. And then when you get back out in the real world, all of those things, for the most part, are gone. You know, you don't get dragged to group four or five times a day. You don't have somebody that's pushing you, to be honest. You get out in the real world, it's up to you. We talked about episode two about, you know, living a life of, of dishonesty and how that is a common trait among people that suffer with chemical dependency. But once you get out in the real world, you've got to do the things they've taught you to do. You've got to go to meetings, even if it's inconvenient. You've got to make it a priority. I've got a friend of mine that has uh, got about eight years on me. If I make it to December 10th, it'll be 29 years for me, and there's a good chance that I'll make it because I've learned a new way to live. But I've got a friend of mine that is a bit of a mentor professionally and in recovery, and he makes a meeting every single day, every single day. And he shared with me one time, he said, you know, I go every day because it is basically an insurance premium for me. I go every day because I enjoy going, but it also gives me an appointment each and every day to take some time to commit to my recovery. And it's an important part of this. It is probably the most important part of this is being plugged into a recovery community, having friends that are in recovery that get it. Because listen, you know, maybe it's a chemical imbalance or maybe it's a, uh, you know, a genetic predisposition to chemical dependency. But, uh, you know, we're, we're cut from a different cloth. We're a lot different. We don't metabolize alcohol the same way that other people do. We don't process pain the way that other people do. You know, as soon as we get some resistance or some adversity in life, we're looking for an escape. And when you remove drugs and alcohol from the equation, you've got to find something to fill that void. If not, you revert to chemical dependency again. You go back to what works for you. And let's be honest, if you're listening to the show, if you're going to treatment, if you're attending meetings in AA or NA or whatever they may be, your way of doing things is not working. That's really the first step. I admit that, I, my life, that I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs and that my life has become unmanageable. 
And it's a difficult step for many people to take, especially the last part, being able to admit that their lives are unmanageable. Being able to confess that we are powerless over alcohol. We can no longer control our lives when we are under the influence of alcohol and drugs. Yeah, there are other people that can do that. There are other people that can go have a drink. We're not those kind of people. We can't have a drink. If I just had a drink, it would just make me angry. You know, if I couldn't drink to get drunk, there was no point in drinking. I didn't want just to have a healthy buzz. I wanted to be off to the races. And so when I went into treatment, they kind of showed me the flaw in my way of thinking. And then they said, you know what, Steve, here's what you have to do. When you get out, you've got to plug into a recovery community. You've got to find a home group. You've got to find a sponsor. And I had somebody share with me then that the people that do not find a sponsor within the first 21 days don't make it. The odds are very much against people that don't get a sponsor within 21 days. I don't know how they arrive at that number. I don't know how the math works. But I made it my business to find a sponsor very, very quickly. And back in those days in recovery and in treatment centers, we were able to, to attend uh, AA meetings around the greater Hattiesburg area. And so you're able to kind of see people and kind of see people out there that you uh, maybe admire a bit. They always told me when I got ready to hire a sponsor, find somebody that has what you want and then do what they did to get it. I also learned, too, that uh, you can learn from the winners and the losers by watching them both. And I hate to use the word loser, but you understand the point that I'm trying to make, is there are those unfortunates that simply don't make it. And so by watching them, you can kind of learn what not to do. The conversation I had with uh, a person earlier this week, after episode one, I guess it was late last week, this person had been to treatment multiple times. And each time when this person got out of treatment, they just thought they could return to their normal life. They thought they could go back to the same circle of friends, continue to do the same things, and simply not drink. And as you can imagine, they have failed multiple times. They did not attend meetings. They did not hire a sponsor. They did not work any steps. And it's important to kind of understand, too, that, uh, you know, these steps are not just decorations in the in a recovery hall. They're up there for a reason. You know, Dr. Bob and Bill W. put this program together. And it has lasted decades now. AA is still going strong. There are some people, too, that are involved in the politics of AA, but that's another topic for another day. But the program works. Recovery works, but you have to do the work. So this person did everything. When you look back at the pathology of a relapse, it's a lot of common themes, a lot of recurring factors, a lot of things that are in common with other people who relapse. Well, I didn't go to meetings. I didn't hire a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. And so it basically how it appears to me is uh, we went to treatment basically is a bit of a vacation. It may have been an earnest attempt initially. You know, you get in there and there's all this shame and this guilt and you've disappointed your family and 
you disappointed your employer perhaps and some people go like I did initially my, my whole reason for going to uh, to rehab was to try to get leniency from a judge that was my sole reason for going to be honest with you you know that and the fact that I wanted to kind of placate some people in my family that loved me and you know and felt that uh, you know I had a problem which I, I, I certainly did but my intentions on going to treatment were not pure I can't just say that I was one of those addicts that uh, saw the light. I felt the heat. And then eventually I saw the light. But I did go to meetings. They told me when I got out to make 90 meetings in 90 days. I think I made 120 in 90 days because I went to some noon meetings too. And some of you live in remote areas and it's difficult to get to, uh, to a meeting. You know, sometimes the times don't work with your schedule. But uh, there are virtual meetings that are available today. Whether it be on Facebook or Zoom, there are 24-hour meetings where you can just kind of plug in whenever you need to. And so the excuse for, I don't have time to go to meetings, has kind of been removed. You know, in some major metropolitan areas, there's, uh, you know, meetings at AA halls three and four times a day. There are some people that have the morning meetings, the noon meeting, the, uh, the, the after-work meeting, the late meeting. I know when I was uh, in NA in Hattiesburg, we had the candlelight group and even had some midnight meetings. And so there is always a meeting to get to. You know, and I, I sound like an old man by saying this. You know, I, I got sober in, in the days pre-internet. You know, but we didn't have all these online support groups and things of that nature. We didn't have people that we could just go jump in a Facebook group and say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about drinking. Somebody help me. It is probably easier today to get sober and stay sober than at any point in recorded history. But it all boils down to you. It boils down to, do you want a better life or not? When you do the things they tell you to do, chances are you're going to make it. Chances are you're going to make it. Talked to a uh, gentleman this evening. Contacted me, known him a long time. Reached out to me, and I do a thing on Facebook uh, called The Randoms. You can find me on Facebook uh, at Scout Steve R. I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. You probably see some uh, some of my college work there, but uh, I do what's called the randoms, and they're usually recovery related. And he shared with me that every time you do those recovery randoms, I share them with uh, you know with one of my children who suffers with uh, the disease of addiction. And he said you you shared one other day, and and he read it. He told me, called me, and said that he cried when he, when he read it. And I'm going to share some of that uh, with you tonight because I think it's important. I won't read it all to you, but I'll, I'll share some things with you that I think are important. When After I got sober, the worst things that have happened to me in my life happened after I got sober. And some that know me well would say, well, Steve, you know, you got arrested, you went to jail, you know, you, you dropped out of college, all those things were bad. And they were, they were. But they were temporary. You know, thankfully, I was given enough breath in my lungs and enough life to lead that I've been able to kind of overcome those things. I've had uh, some deaths in the family, as many of you have, some very, very close to me, some that were difficult to explain. I have uh, given myself to multiple careers and seen uh, businesses fail and um, have kept plugging. The difference is I didn't get drunk over any of that I didn't get high over any of that this is one of the things that I'll share is here is the stark reality of life other people I love are going to die 
People I love are going to disappoint me. Jobs will come and go. There will be injustice in life. That is all part of the human condition. What I have learned through nearly three decades of sober living is that it is up to me. Bad things are going to happen to me no matter how good I am. I decide how I'm going to respond. That is 100% my decision. I have a choice today. You do too. The app on my phone says I've been sober for 10,570 days. That's a big number, but the most important one was day one. That's the day that I decided that I'd had enough. That's the day I chose a better life. It's not complicated. It's also not easy. But as God is my witness, it is so incredibly worth it. Probably the most important thing that I will write today is that getting clean and sober doesn't grant us any immunity in life. Bad things still happen. I just don't get loaded over them anymore. That's the truth of the matter. It's about living life on life's terms. It's one of those things you look at, it seems that every time when I, you know, when, when I was at my weakest point, temptation always seemed to rear its ugly head. There were times that I would, uh, you know, maybe I was having difficulty in a relationship, a romantic relationship. And it always seemed that, uh, you know, you'd pass an old haunt or you'd see an old drinking or drugging buddy and you think, you know what, it would be so great just to take a little bit of a break, just a little bit of a vacation. I can always pick up a desire ship again. I can always start over because I know the, 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 the path it takes to get sober. But every time I passed on that opportunity, I procrastinated. I said, you know what, I'm going to put that next drink off for another day. And somehow I'd get home and have a good meal and get a good night's rest. And then the next day, I didn't want to drink again. It's amazing how that happens. It's amazing how if I can make it back to the bed sober, how tomorrow things seem to feel a little differently. Now, it's not always that simple. Sometimes you stack some negative days together, and some days you get mired in a bit of a depression. So do other people. We convince ourselves at times that our pain is unique that no one understands what we're dealing with, as if nobody's ever gone through a divorce, as if nobody's ever seen a parent die or, God forbid, a child die. Everything that we have gone through, other people on this planet have dealt with. That's not to say that there's not a grieving process as part of all that, as you grieve the loss of a relationship or you grieve the loss of a loved one. That's part of the human condition. But the reality is, is that we have a history of being people that run from pain at every turn. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There's the old acronym of FEAR. And this is a PG-13 show, so I'm not going to tell you what the... Uh, what it really, the F really stands for, but uh, as it was explained to me in the PG-13 version, it's forget everything and run. And then as you get some days under your belt, it's face everything and recover. It's incredible how much more life there is to lead when we stop running. When we stop running from our problems and begin to face them. There's nothing more rewarding than going through something that has eaten our lunch before or perhaps baffled us as the big book says the big book promises us that we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us that comes after we've been restored to sanity that's all part of step two but there is a reward in every bit of that once you face those problems for the first time when you dig your heels in the ground and say okay enough I'm tired of letting this beat me, and you begin to fight back. When you plant your back heel and begin to lay haymakers, it's incredible how much better life gets when you're in the fight rather than running from the fight. Because that's all that I used to do. Every time there was adversity in life, I ran from it. And once I began to stand up to adversity and say, you know what, I'm going to deal with this head on, I got stronger. And then I did it again, and I got stronger. And then suddenly those things were no longer a hindrance to me in my life, much less my recovery. They no longer made me unhappy. Then when those situations came up in the future, I didn't feel that that tightness in my stomach. I didn't feel those knots in my stomach. I said, you know what? I have been through this before, and I have defeated this. I can do it again. I can do it again. And that's really what recovery is. Recovery is changing those behaviors that we had, that we had embraced, that allowed us to be somewhat irresponsible. You know, that's about our lives being unmanageable. We didn't manage our own lives because we depended on somebody else to do it for us or we simply didn't care. I submit to you that in every addict or alcoholic's life, there is a crisis, real or imagined, that pushes them through the wall, that pushes them from the, quote, problem drinker to a full-blown alcoholic or drug addict. There is something that happens that makes our don't-give-a-you-know-what meter break. When we stop caring, we really stop caring. There are other people that say, I would, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. We're experts at really not caring whether it be about people, be about ourselves, our responsibilities, our jobs, our homes, whatever. 
it is very easy for us to flip that switch and become apathetic about everything around us. You are not alone in that attribute. I share it. I still battle with that nearly 30 years into this thing. Nearly three decades in, I still sometimes have to convince myself to care. More times than not, it's a little more intuitive. But there are some times when I have to remind myself, you know what, this is what I need to do. This other stuff is old behavior for me. Not addressing these issues is old behavior for me, and that's what leads to relapse. That's what leads to, when I begin to embrace old behavior, that's what leads to relapse. And we can always look back in hindsight, and it's interesting to sit down with people as they come back. And one of the things when I have the opportunity to pass out chips at meeting, and I love being able to pass out chips at meeting because I get all those free hugs, but also, too, I enjoy seeing the smile on their faces. But probably the most important thing about handing out the chips is what I say. And I got convicted of this several years ago that, uh, you know, it wasn't as simple as just handing out the chips. Before I pass out the chips, I give a little bit of a speech. You know, and I hate to call it a speech, but I always share with this. I always say, listen, this is a desire chip. If you'd like to uh, embrace our way of life and give us an opportunity to help you, then come pick up the chip. And if you are a person that has relapsed and has the need to pick up this, or you ever go through that, don't ever be embarrassed to come back. Because we're not going to judge you. We're not going to think any less of you. It is not a competition. We will embrace you with open arms because you are our people and so when you go through relapse don't be too proud to come back and pick up a desire chip it's not a show nobody's going to make a spectacle out of you we're just happy you're back because there are so many people that i know that have gone through relapse and their ego would not allow them to come back and show some humility and pick up that chip I think it's important to do so. I think, again, it's, it's an important part of the process to come back and say, you know what, I messed up, guys. It is a reminder to the rest of us that it's not getting any better out there. I've heard people say before, even if I wasn't an alcoholic or an addict, I think the 12 steps is a great way to live. It's a great way to live. And so when you go out and you have the relapse... You know, the disease will tell you, see, you can't make it. You're one of those, you know, unfortunates they talk about in a big book. You're just not constitutionally capable of being honest with yourself. And there are a few people like that. But if you can be honest with yourself, that is the first part of this thing. Being honest with yourself, but also, too, being able to take direction. Being able to say, you know what, I have made a mess of my life. Much of that by my own decisions. You know, yeah, there, I may have had some bad luck along the way, but uh, more times than not, I put myself into harm's way by choice. And so if you will do the, these simple things, and, and one of my favorite sayings in recovery is, if you try it our way for 90 days and you're not completely happy, we will gladly refund your misery. You can go back and have it. But if you get a sponsor, if you attend meetings, if you work the steps, you're going to see change in your life. You're going to realize, hey, I am getting down to the core issue here. We talked about that crisis earlier in the show. There is a crisis, real or imagined, that pushes you through the wall. 
More times than not, it is imagined. But for many of us, it is a very real situation. For me, it was a failed relationship. It was a relationship that was a very unhealthy relationship. It was a toxic relationship that I, I elected to stay in far too long uh, to the point that I had ostracized myself from many people in my family. And so then pride comes in and takes over, and you begin to think, well, I, I don't want to admit that they were right about this individual. And so you try to stick it out, you try to stick it out, you try to stick it out. Well, it didn't work out. And so it was kind of a double whammy. My heart was broken, and then I also felt the shame and guilt of the fact that um, I had to go back and listen to people say, I told you so. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there's not going to be people that will tell you that because they absolutely will. Some people live to see us fail, not just us as alcoholics and addicts, but as humans in general. People love to be able to say, I told you so. But when that crisis comes for you, there became a bit of a, uh, of a rift. There became a shift, let's say, not necessarily in morality, but you became a different person. Because of the negative experience, our outlook on life has been somewhat changed. And so we have to redirect that. We have to kind of erase those tapes and tape over them again and kind of relearn how we handle these things how we process pain in a correct and healthy way because if we don't we're doomed to relapse we have to get down to the core issue of why we drink and use in the first place we don't just drink and use because it's fun we drink and use more times than not because there is some some unresolved issue there is some presence of pain that we have been unable to process And so by working the steps with a loving, caring, and direct sponsor, we will learn what those issues are, what those character defects are. And one of the things that trips a lot of people up is the fourth step. That's the first really action step. I mean, you know, we can, you know, you can, you go through steps one, two, and three, and you see them on the wall, and you're like, well, yeah, I I believe that I have a problem with alcohol and drugs, and yeah, my life's a mess. Yeah, I believe that God can help me. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll submit that I need to turn the care and will of my life over to the care of God. I mean, yeah, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. And those are the things you can kind of you know, BS your way through. But when you get to that fourth step, that's really when we start separating you know, the recovering from the dry. Because a lot of people are not willing to kind of admit their failures and their character defects. But once we get into that fourth step, we begin to kind of peel the layers back a bit. We begin to kind of peel those things back. And, uh, you know, one of the best relationships that I had, I, I, I had somebody, I said, well, they said, well, I want to know everything about you. Okay, well, tell me, what do you want to know? I'm an open book. Well, I want to know the things you don't want to talk about. Those are the things that I want to know. And when we get into that four step, it's kind of like that. You know, some of us just kind of want to glaze over it and just say, you know, I did this and I did that. But we don't want to really get deep and get honest with ourselves. But at the end of the day, we're only cheating ourselves. And that's the best thing about this program is I get out of it what I put into it. And when I made a decision that I really wanted to be clean and sober, I approached it with reckless abandon. And when I worked the fourth step... I was amazed as I began to write things down how other memories began to come back. I'm not necessarily saying that, uh, that I was repressing memories or anything of the nature, 
But as I remembered, I said, oh, yeah, I remember this. I remember when this happened. And this was a big deal in my life at the time. And this kind of, you know, changed my perception of this person, or I didn't want to be around this person. I developed a resentment over this because of this. Once I wrote it down, there's something about physically writing it down kind of freed it from my mind. It's kind of like taking the trash out. You know, once you begin to get those things out and you begin to identify where your problems are, your true problems, because let's be honest, alcoholism and chemical dependency is a symptom of a bigger problem. If we only remove the alcohol and the drugs, we've still got all the rest of it. I've, I've heard the percentages that drugs and alcohol are only 15% of the problem with character defects are 85. I think the number is probably higher than that. Probably a little bit different for all of us. But uh, at the end of the day, this is a disease of self. I was willing to take or drink or do whatever I had to do to make me feel better about me because there were some times in life that I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't feel good enough about me to live a regular life. And so I began to kind of, I began to find uh, some acceptance. I began to like the person that I was when I was on drugs and alcohol more than I liked the person when I was sober. I thought I was boring. thought I wasn't as much fun. thought I was a lot more fun. I was more of an entertainer. But, you know, as you begin to speak to people, you find out that, you know, I was a little bit obnoxious, too. A lot of those character defects were on steroids when I was on alcohol and drugs. And so I share that with you today about relapse because it is important to understand that just about every relapse has the same pathology. Just about every relapse, it's the same story. And when you ask people, well, did you do this? No. Did you do this? No. Did you do this? No. Well, I don't know if going back to rehab is what you need to do. I think you already know what to do. You just haven't done it. And it's all about personal accountability. I began to look at life a lot differently when I realized that there was no search party being formed to save me. And I've shared that with you guys on multiple occasions because I think it's important to understand that. You're in a life raft in the middle of an ocean. Grab the oar and start paddling. Because if you're waiting for the search plane to come, you're going to die die out there. You're going to die of starvation. You're going to be out there with a nice sunburn out there that's burned to a crisp, surrounded by water you can't drink. You can't wait for somebody else to come save you. You've got to save yourself. And for many of you, they're hearing the sound of my voice right now. You've been given an opportunity. You've been given an opportunity. You've been given a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an eighth chance. And you've squandered it. But today begins a new day. We can't change the past, but we can change what it means. Finally, I'll share with you, I, as I spoke to a young lady earlier this week, she shared with me she'd been in treatment three times. I've shared the numbers with you before. That One, according to Betty Ford, one in 25 people who need professional intervention get it. One in 25. And of that 25, of that one of 25, another one of those 25 actually has a prolonged period of recovery that lasts a year or more. So basically it's 4% of 4%. You can do your own math. And this person's had the opportunity to go to treatment three times. So how many other people, there's at least two people 
that desperately needed hospitalization or professional intervention that didn't get it because this person occupied the bed. And so I think once you go to treatment, once you get detoxed and once you get dried out and once you learn the tools and kind of get uh, turned on to our way of life, I think at that point, I don't know if more recovery is, is what you need, more, more treatment. I think you need real recovery and not a vacation, not 30 days away from the family, not 30 days away from the chores, not 30 days away from the hustle and bustle of raising kids. You know, sometimes you need that initially. Sometimes we all need a break. It's an awfully expensive break, though. There are a lot of people out there that don't fully appreciate what's happening in their own homes. The behavior they're patterning for their children. The odds of children of alcoholics becoming alcoholics are astronomical. So think about the behavior that you're patterning for your children. And then when you go off to treatment and then go right back to that same way of living, think about the message you're sending them. And there's so many people that say, you know what? I've got to do this for my kids. I've got to do this for my wife. I've got to do this for my brother. I've got to do this. No, those can all be motivations for you. And everybody needs cheerleaders in life. But it's about you wanting a better life for yourself. And if you are a person that has relapsed, come on back. We'll love you just the same. We don't think any less of you. We still see you as a brother and a sister. We want you to be part of our fellowship. Because there will come a day when we may be on the other end of this thing. And we will want to be welcomed back as well. But if you're a person that has relapsed, and you look back over the pathology of your own relapse, I'm sure you will admit that the number one reason you relapsed is because you stopped doing the things that got you sober in the first place. That's going to do it for today. And I want to remind you, as always, no matter what happens, no matter what goes on in life, no matter what you tell yourself, you are never, ever, ever alone. Because I am right there with you. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.